This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man of the really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! I heard my buddy Sherm wasn't happy about the uh, Taylor Swift questions last night for Jason Kelsey. Yeah. Like, what is this, TMZ? He didn't care for that. He wanted to keep things about weird. sports. Yeah, weird place to do it, right? Is it? I mean, you know. <laughs> Tony Gonzalez I mean, wanted to know, is your brother dating Taylor Swift or not, Jason Kelsey? They're also promoting the Kelsey's show that is on yeah. Amazon Prime, so Plus, I understand. I mean, like, everybody wants to know whether or not they're dating. He shot his shot, right? He was like, hey, we're the same age. Do I want to hang out? And it seemed at first like it didn't work, and now it seems like maybe it did work. I didn't have a problem with the question. I just got Kelsey fatigue. I, well, I've just totally I've seen too thing. much of the Kelseys. I've seen what's it, Travis Kelsey just blackout drunk and just <laughs> Travis on the microphone. I mean, the mom is kind of everywhere now. He's kind of insufferable. He's becoming insufferable to me. Becoming. becoming. Travis Kelsey has been insufferable for quite some time. Justin and I have been telling people about he it. Nobody will listen to us. Yeah. But this is the most interesting thing he's done. Like, if he's actually succeeded in dating Taylor Swift, <laughs> that's at least the interest. Anyway, we're not going to get too deep into this. We've had way too much pop music today. Instead, Moore's got some buy or sell for us specifically related to this weekend's game. All right, first up. Brady, I know, hold on. I know you need to be explained whose shoes. Can you figure out buy or sell? Uh, yeah, that's where you either buy or you sell. <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, so I, I want to make sure you can handle this one. <laughs> you got it. All right. First up, Jason Peters starts for the Seahawks Sunday. I am going to sell that one. I'm not. It's not going to be a hard sell, but uh, I'm going to sell that one. I think that it's just too soon to expect the guy with three, but really two practices uh, to come in at 41 years old. Even if he was in the prime of his career, to come in, you know, with really two practices and start right away. I think he's going to be active, and maybe he's there for emergency duty. But I think you're going to see Stone Forth Scythe start at left tackle. It's like the end of a fireworks show. We're just letting all the sound effects go at the same time. Buy, sell, coins. Just let it go. Let it fly. Yeah. I had a had a malfunction. I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I want to buy. I would like to buy. I, I would like to see him. I give you a half one. Thank though. you, but I can't do it. I, I think Brady's probably right. Two practices. Oh, you can go out and in start. The road. If anybody could do it, though, it's a 41-year-old yeah. Jason Peters is... Have you read about his nicknames, Brainy? No. Did you know he has multiple nicknames, including the Bodyguard? Oh, I did see that on Pro Football Reference. Yes, yeah. and also the Mythical Creature. Uh, yeah, you know, so Pro Football Reference. If you look guys up on that, it'll list it, like the little biographical yeah. information at the top left corner. It'll list nicknames, and like a lot of these times, I've I've followed this player's entire career. I've never heard one person use these nicknames. I would like you to, when you get a chance, to talk to Jason Peters, ask him about those those nicknames. I think it's like a Wikipedia thing where. Anybody can just go and I think push it. Ask Brady's him. right because I feel like I I've heard a player asked about one of those that was listed and he's like, no, that's not. Yeah, a that's not a thing. It's just <laughs> not a thing. Some but then sometimes something like that. Big Dumper gets on there and it turns out to be true, yeah. right? So because remember, uh, Passon didn't even know about the whole Big Dumper thing. He thought it was a joke when he saw it on Baseball Reference. So Brady, please do some investigative reporting. These are the things we need to know. You got it. Thank you. All right, next up, Jared Goff has 359 passes without an interception. He needs 44 more to surpass Tom Brady for the record. Buy or sell the Seahawks picking him off this Sunday? Buy. I buy it. I just, 
don't think that highly of Jared Goff. I like when Brock dropped in there that he went to Berkeley as if that was supposed to be impressive. This guy didn't understand which direction the sun set in. It's like, uh, let's tone it down on, oh, he went to Berkeley. He's a great genius. He's missing out on, like, some very basic understanding of how the universe works around him. They pick him off at least once this weekend. Ooh. I am going to sell that. Now, I will say, and Jared Goff even admitted this uh, when he was asked about it. I thought he had a nice, you know, humble answer where he was basically saying that, you know, part of that is luck because you get balls batted uh, at the line of scrimmage. You get balls batted by defensive backs. And at some point, there's luck involved in whether that ends up in a defender's hands or harmlessly falls to the ground. And so there is some luck there. Maybe that luck changes on Sunday in Detroit against the Seahawks, but I need to see more from that pass rush to know that they can really put pressure on him uh, to think that they're going to force him into you know an errant throw that gets picked off. So I'm going to sell that. All right, Geno Smith doubles his passing yardage from week one against the Lions. Uh, he had 112 week one, so buy or sell, he puts up 224 yards or more. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to buy that because I think this is gonna this is gonna have to be one of those shootout games uh, where you're going to have to throw the ball. 35, 45 times. Now, I agree with Brock that a lot of that is going to be quick game stuff. Just You cannot expect two backup tackles to hold up and pass protection long enough to really have a lot of those deep shots. I think this is going to be a big game for Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, out of the slot, and I think that Geno Smith, if nothing else out of necessity, is going to double his passing yardage total from week one. I don't like to say it, but I'm going to sell this Sold in the back row. Thank you. Uh, but not by much. It's not like I think he is as low as 112 again. But this is more to do with just looking around the league in the first few weeks, at the first week plus here. And there are a lot of low numbers yep. around the league in terms of passing yards where guys didn't play that badly but ended up throwing for 200, 212, 250, whatever it was, 240. I didn't see a ton of 350s, 400 yards. Not like college where Michael Penix comes out against, you know, some directional university and throws for 550. I I don't think Geno's going to play poorly, but I think he actually will struggle to get to 224. So I'll take the slight under on that number. All right. This one, this is a fun one. CJ Gardner-Johnson and DK Metcalf will be involved in some sort of extracurricular antics. Bye. I put everything I own on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no doubt. No. There's no. No. There's no doubt. And and look. And maybe that doesn't result in a penalty. But DK Metcalf has been talking for at least two years now about how he knows opposing defensive backs or defensive players are trying to get under his skin, knowing that he's shown a propensity to lose his cool. C.J. Gardner-Johnson is known for that. He is known as an instigator. And you know he's going to watch what happened at the end of that game on Sunday in week one uh, and say, yep, that's an opportunity to pick up 15 yards. So there's no doubt that there is going to be some extra creatures. man's been punched by his own teammates. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. On multiple occasions. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, this is the last one I have for you. The crowd noise at Ford Field will impact the Seahawks. We heard Dan Campbell earlier this week say he thinks they're going to be louder than Arrowhead there. Burrowhead. So will the crowd noise have an impact? Oh, sorry. I thought I was waiting for the cut there. Uh, Yes, it will. And look, I think you could say it impacted them last season. Certainly not enough to keep them from winning that game. But this is going to be, as Quandre Diggs said, a madhouse. It's the Lions' home opener. I think they're unveiling a statue of Barry Sanders, the GOAT, uh, before the game. Coming off that, you know, week one upset win over the defending Super Bowl champions. 
And look, man, th- this has been brewing for a while in Detroit. They've heard all offseason about how good the Lions are going to be, and they delivered in week one, and now they're playing at home for the first time. So there is no doubt crowd noise is going to be a factor. I think it probably is. I don't know how we'll see it play its way out on the field, right? I mean, they're going to go silent, right? Poor Peyton. Forgot to do it. I forgot to tell you in the <laughs> Super Bowl. Yeah. Just should have gone silent. Uh, so they'll go silent, I'm sure, right from the beginning. And yeah, we'll see what the communication looks like. Will it affect them? Yes. Will it be the difference in the game? No. How's that? Okay. So I guess I'll, I'm. We haven't buying. played this one yet. I'll play it for Roxing. Yeah. Oh, in the second row. <laughs> Was that G Scott? <laughs> yes. Singing? Yeah. yeah. G's got quite just, the voice. Just to wrap this up. I yeah. think this is adorable that you guys have these views. It does None of it matters. It's adorable. It's very cute that you Maura? think that the Lions have a chance. They Maura? don't. There you go. <laughs> Why do yeah, I sound Rock. like the voice of God there? What is going on? My, when was that? With the audio. That was before the Lions last Packers. game of the year, Lions-Packers, where I said, bet the house, bet the wife, bet the kids, bet your husband, whatever it is. Bet the house, bet the mortgage, bet your job, bet your wife, bet your kids, bet your husband. You thought the, there was no Packer. way the Lions were no going to the Packers. Boy, I hope nobody really did all that. Like, <laughs> that's, that guy's life is probably pretty, <laughs> pretty rough right if now. If you bet one red cent based on anything I said, I think it's on you at that point. Like, you should know better at this for sure. All right, coming up, uh, we'll give you everything you need to know, and then I'm going to bring Brady into the biggest conversation of the week. We'll do that at 8.30. It is a football Friday here, powered by the Snoqualmie Casino Sportsbook on Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. This is going to be a blast this weekend. I don't know if it's fully going to be playoff preview, but if it is, it could be a World Series preview. That would be kind of fun. Dodgers in town for three. Very, very good baseball team in basically every way. Good pitching, good hitting, good fielding. They kind of do it all, which is why they've been one of the best teams in the league for the last few years. And right now, Mookie Betts, their best players on absolute heater. Freddie Freeman has been tremendous this year. If you ever want to see what two superstars look like in their prime doing their thing, Watch Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman this weekend. You're going to have to have a plan to get those guys out. Who's got to do it? Well, it starts with George Kirby. He gets the ball first tonight. Talked to Jerry DePoto about him yesterday and said he's not worried about Kirby's comments, that he handled it the right way. And at the end of the day, the Kirby you see on the field is the one that's most important. He's coming off an extra day of rest. I would think he would sure like to show the world exactly what kind of competitor he really is. I would look for George Kirby to be at his absolute best and just shove tonight. Sounds like we could see Jared Kelnick back in the lineup. Jerry DePoto telling us yesterday that Jared is healthy and could have even pinch hit on Wednesday. So that's good news. And then elsewhere, Texas somehow managed to sweep the Blue Jays. I did not see that one coming, that's for sure. Mariners fall a game behind the Rangers. They're one and a half up on the Blue Jays. They have three with L.A. Then it's off to Oakland for three. And then it's Texas on the road, Houston at home, Texas at home. It is going to be absolutely insane the end of this season. Final 16 games, essentially a football season sprint to the finish. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, rookie corner Devin Witherspoon should be making his debut finally today or this weekend, rather. Looking forward to seeing him out there. His defensive coordinator, Clint Hurt, tells us what's in store for us. Certain guys are different in how quickly they see the game, their instincts and feel for the game. You know, I'm not trying to put any 
uh, anything extra on the kid. Just let him be himself, you know, and, and how he's, what he's shown in practice. That's the biggest thing. Practice is everything here because we make it so hard here, you, you know, and obviously you should be ready to go game time and, and respond in the right direction. So if he plays the way he practices, then for us, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have any surprises. Yep, and I'm interested to see how they use him before he got hurt. He'd been working at both nickelback and at left cornerback. Obviously, what you saw Sunday in week one was that neither of the two guys they had at left cornerback, uh, Trey Barner, Mike Jackson, played well enough at all to lock down that spot. So I think you could see him on the outside in addition to uh, in the inside. And wherever he's playing, you're going to see a guy who was physical, who was instinctive, and who was going to get after it. And uh, that's part of the reason, a big part of the reason why they took him fifth overall. Yeah, we also uh, are unlikely to see either starting tackle. Abe Lucas is definitely not going to be there. Charles Cross has not practiced this week at all. So who starts on the outside? We'll wait and find out. And then also, are we going to see the top effort? That was one of the problems last week. According to the players themselves, they didn't play their hardest. They weren't as prepared as they needed to be. Bobby Wagner got the group together, had some choice words, it sounds like, for the team. Geno Smith explains. I think Bobby did a great job at just reminding guys of who we are as a team. You know, whenever you have a tough loss like that, you can kind of start looking around and say, hey, what, you know, what's going on? But, you know, we got to know who we are as a team. And, and that's something that, you know, we're a confident bunch. And we got to continue to remain confident and continue to play with that swagger and, and that energy. And so that, that was his huge message is just be confident and have that energy. Yeah, you're not going to see effort be an issue in this game, uh, especially after what happened in the opener, after Bobby Wagner got after the team, I felt like a little bit, at least based on the, the minute or so of that that we saw before Wednesday's practice. That was uh, that was a pretty intense pep talk, a lot of stuff that I could not repeat on the air uh, or in print, and I just effort is not going to be an issue. But, look, it's going to take a lot more than just trying harder in this game against Detroit when you look at this, this tough situation they're in at tackle, playing in that environment against Aiden Hutchinson and a team that is really riding high coming off a huge victory in week one over the Chiefs. Here's the third thing you need to know. First short week of the season game last night. Philly holds off Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, I watched Jalen Carter. I didn't think he had a huge night, but he did flash. I know that's the uh, phrase du jour in the NFL. He flashed. Well, he did. He uh, just completely eluded both guys who came at him, walked into the backfield and destroyed a running back for a three or four yard loss. He is that kind of player. Rashad Penny was there last night as well. Didn't play very well. Just uh, nine yards on three carries. And then uh, it's an interesting weekend in the NFL. A couple of teams with their back against the wall. Poor uh, Justin, his Cincinnati Bengals after losing week one now host Baltimore. They are looking to avoid starting 0-2. Rams and uh, uh, Niners are going to go at it in L.A., so there'll be at least one other loss in the division. And then Zach Wilson and the Jets taking on Dallas. That just cracks me up. Yeah, Rams in L.A., that's going to be an interesting one. I, I remember covering the Rams in the playoffs a couple years ago, and even at home, a ton of 49ers oh, fans. Sure. It was sort of, you know, the joke was that it was, you know, Bay Area South, and that's not a, a very you know, ardent fan base uh, with the Rams. And so you're going to see a ton of red in that stadium. And uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what the Rams look like. I mean, I, 
I, maybe they're better than we were giving them credit for. Certainly, they look like it in week one. All right, there you go. That's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. So, Brady, you're not afraid to say Nickelback. I appreciate that about you. A lot of people, I feel like, in the football industry will only call it the nickel. And I think it's because they're afraid of the band yeah. Nickelback. They don't want to say this person's starting at Nickelback. But you're not afraid. And again, bravery being such a theme of the day, I appreciate that about you. Yeah, Nickelback, um, not my favorite band. No. Yeah, not, um, you know, Creed, I, I probably put Creed above Nickelback. Really? Of, you know, you okay. put Nickelback below Creed? Uh, I think that, it, and I say this, and I say, like I was joking there, like as, as much crap as both of those bands have caught, like Uh-oh. they got, they actually got a couple songs. They both got heaters. They did. They both got a couple like heaters that I'm yeah. just going to be, I'm just going to say it like again, not brave. afraid to admit it. You were brave. You'll say Nickelback. You'll say that they've got some songs you like. I agree yeah. with you. I'm right there with I'm you, but I'm, I'm afraid to say it. I'm yeah. afraid to say it. I won't say it. I just call Jordan Epperly for the Kraken, unapologetic Nickelback fan. He's Canadian. Totally different that thing, though. Okay. Right. Like, if you're they're Canadian, he's Canadian. It's just sort of built right in. But, yeah, I mean, like, Rockstar's a good song. I'm not going to... Not yeah, hate on I mean, I'm not even going to call it like a guilty pleasure. I'm just going to say You're just going like, to call it pleasure. The the bands that get uh, like they are the two bands that get the most gruff. Mm. Like I would listen to them all day over Taylor Swift or Beyonce wow. or any of these hey, other bands that are see mega what's happening popular here, Mark? today. Do you see what's happening here? I couldn't I'm resist taking the that world. shot. All right, we'll come right back. The hottest conversation of the week. We're going to force Brady to pick a side. We're going to like, yeah, we're going to really get after him here. It's going to be a grilling next on Brock and Salk. This, this is Brock and Saul. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Please don't say Nickelback, Brady. Yuck, says the 253. Creed is way below Nickelback, says the 509. It's just like, like those are two bands that people were told to hate. I'm kind of with you. Do you remember like, the like halftime? The, the word moist. It's like people just like yes. they heard that and they're like, oh yeah, that's disgusting. Same thing they heard. You know what else is like that? People saying they're afraid of clowns. Oh, not true. Not, okay. People think they're supposed to be afraid of clowns, and they no. think it's cool, Brady, but it's not true. Because no, that happens from a child. Total, total lie. Total, it total lie. Yeah. yeah, it. Sure, okay. It is scary, but that doesn't mean that everyone is afraid of clowns. A lot of people just pretend because they think that's like the cool thing to be afraid of. Brady, were you going to say the Creed halftime show? Yeah, in Dallas. Was yeah. that what you were going to say? Can you take me higher? Yeah. yeah, that wasn't great. That's yeah, pretty sweet. That wasn't. A, that wasn't a great <laughs> moment. Flying in, the, in. On the Creed <laughs> yeah. resume and all that. All right, so Brady, one of the things that uh, surprised, I think, a little bit me and Brock this week was just the amount of anger. By the way, that's Brady Henderson of ESPN.com and ESPN who's in here uh, for a couple hours and uh, we'll have a half hour left with Brady. Stacy's going to stop by at 9 o'clock and then 9.30 we will uh, take some uh, open phone lines as we do every Friday at 9.30. So start thinking about something you want to say. Um, it, uh, it, it surprised us a little bit how much blame, anger, vitriol, whatever word you want to use, went right to Pete Carroll as soon as things went awry a little bit this weekend. And I thought we were sort of done with that after last year. I thought Pete had kind of proven last year that for all of his haters who thought he was stuck in the mud and he didn't want to do this, that, and the other, and he was the problem, that he opened up the offense once he had a quarterback that he trusted to do it with. His coordinator, you know, was one of those young guys and Shane Waldron who sort of fits with all the other guys that everybody wants. And he seemed to be on the right track. And I thought people had sort of gotten over it. 
one bad loss to the Rams to start the year, and it felt like everything came washing back over them. Yeah, and and we were talking, I think, uh, in the break, too, about how maybe part of that is Russell's no longer here. And you've always got to blame somebody, right? Or or at least that's, the I think, the inclination among fans. And you just don't have any of the old punching bags. You don't have Tom Cable or Daryl Bevel there to blame. Um, And so, yeah, but and I think part of that is just natural. Like, you've got to put it on somebody. I think part of it, too, is he's the head coach. And when your team comes out and lays that bad of an egg, of course the head coach is going to be responsible for that. Yeah, you know what, though? That's fair. Yes. When, When... If it was just blame for a game, I'd be right there with you. But it's not that. And maybe that's just the society we live in. Nobody is is willing to blame someone for anything without belief that they need to be fired and let go. Right. And it's indicative of all this, that, and the other. And I think that's one of the things that's frustrated me kind of throughout this Mariner season and, and at other times as well. You're like, yeah, I disagree with the move Scott made. I still think he's a good manager. Right? Or I think, yes, Jerry DePoto screwed that one up. I still think on balance he's good at his job. It feels like maybe that's just sort of the modern day reaction to problems on a team. But I, again, I kind of thought we were over that with Pete after last year. Yeah, I agree with what you said. Like you, you want it to confirm what you already thought about somebody. If you were down on somebody, then you're going to view what happened as yeah, that guy was the issue. I mean, why do you think so many people then would be down on Pete Carroll? I think because it's a continuation of the defensive struggles that they've had for the last three years. And remember, you know, going back to 2020, um, remember they started horribly slow that year. It happened again in 2021. It really happened again last year. The only difference was, unlike in 2020 and 2021, you know, the defense didn't really turn around. It was kind of just lousy throughout the year. In in the two years before that, like they actually played some pretty good football in the second half of the season defensively, to the point where you had to wonder, like, okay, if you're capable of playing like this in the second half of those seasons, why does it? Why do you stumble out of the gates as badly as you do? And I think this hits on kind of a, a interesting slash difficult part of the whole conversation about defenses. We know that Pete Carroll. Obviously, we know he's the head coach, and so he is, you know, he, oh, the buck stops with him. But we also know that he is a defensive guy, and it always is sort of this question of, okay, when the defense struggles, is that on Carroll or is that on the defensive coordinator? Now, I have heard, and I think Brock has said this on the air as well, that Pete really gives the, his defensive coordinators more autonomy than we may realize. So it's not just like Pete is the puppet master. And Clint Hurt, Ken Norton Jr., Dan Quinn are on the string. Like he gives those guys autonomy to obviously call the defense, uh, but to you know game plan. And certainly, it's not like he's totally let, letting them do that. Like it is a collaborative effort, but it's not just Pete controlling everything. And I sort of wonder that the turnaround you saw in the second half of the 2020 and 21 seasons was maybe Pete saying, "Okay, we're going to do this my way," and him taking more. Of a, a of a of a sort of you know decision making role in there, but it goes back to the conversation like what's going on right now. Is it Pete? Is it hurt? I I don't really know. It's just hard to really say, not knowing exactly the inner workings of the defense. Or do they just not ha- look? I, I I'm gonna keep coming back to the same thing. I'm not even gonna say they don't have talent because I think they do have talent. I, I, I and I know I sound like a broken record, but. I don't think their defensive roster is built the right way. I don't think they've spent 
the money the right way. I don't think they've spent their resources the right way. I don't think they have the right place, the right people at the right positions. I just look and and then throw in some of the confusion with what kind of a scheme is it? Is it a three four? Is it a four three? Are they which kind of personnel are you looking for? Now it's more multiple, and they're trying to do both. The best teams, the Super Bowl winning defenses, for the most part, have absolute game wreckers up front. End of story. End of conversation. The best defenses have game wreckers up front. In the last six years, what game wreckers up front have the Seahawks had? Guys who are among the best at their position in the league who wreck games from up front since making the decision. And by the way, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I stood there and said it. Yep. Let Frank Clark go and keep Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. You had three guys. You could only keep two of them. And I was right there. And some of it was personality. And I don't, maybe it was still the right thing to do, but there's no doubt that between a middle linebacker and a defensive end, like Frank Clark, that one of them is a more premier and important position in the modern NFL than the other. And throw age into it and a bunch of other things. This isn't a shot at Bobby at all. And I'm glad Bobby's back. And I think what he does for the running game is going to be huge. I would have done the same thing. But you can't let Frank Clark go without replacing Frank Clark with equivalent kind of talent. And since then, they've done bubkiss up front. Yeah, the problem with the Frank Clark trade wasn't trading him, and, and I, I think their decision was sound there. And, right. and that was not about Frank Clark, the player, so much as about can you trust this guy after paying him. And I'm with him. him. I wouldn't have trusted yeah, him at all. A boatload of money. The problem is you just didn't do enough with the, the draft capital that you got in return there. Now, to go back and answer the question you asked earlier, who has been a real difference maker aside from Frank Clark up front? I think you could say, even though Jamal Adams is a safety, he's really more of a pass rusher. You could I can't say, say that. I, I'm not willing to say that. If you want a pass rusher, then get a freaking pass rusher. The problem with having your safety be your best pass rusher is that he has a tendency to get hurt because he's 220 pounds fair. playing around the line of scrimmage all the time. Yeah, that's fair. What are we talking about? You know what would be better than a safety who rushes the passer? A pass rusher who rushes the passer. True. True. Okay, so I, let, I mean, like, what am I? Mean? I feel like we are sort of we've we've forgotten about the very basics. We've gotten away from the absolute very basics of just how do you build a team? What are the most important positions on a team? Quarterback, receiver, defensive end, cornerback. Really? Yeah. See, I don't agree with that. You don't think you don't think cornerbacks are important? I don't think they're more important than defensive linemen. Well, I said defensive end. Yeah, and I'm talking about the upfront defensive linemen. I'll take a defensive tackle, a dominant defensive tackle over a dominant corner, over a dominant wide receiver. Most of the best wide receivers don't win anything. I mean, it happens sometimes they do, but for the most part, best wide receivers in the league? Like, eh. Boy, you watched Justin Jefferson last night and didn't think that. No, yeah, I, I know did they didn't win. And they're 0 but... 2 and they stink. Yeah. Yeah, cool. You got Justin Jefferson. Great. You know who's a more impactful player? Daniel Hunter. Oh, no. no Not at this no, stage no, in his career, no, no, but over no, the no. course of it. I'm no. sorry. I would rather no. spend my money for great players along the defensive line than I would on a wide receiver or a or a corner or anything like that. Sorry. I think I think at the okay, if if you're talking about just a pro bowl level guy, you can make that argument that yeah, an edge rusher, but at the top of the level like Justin Jefferson, I know this is a detour, but Justin Jefferson is probably the best non-quarterback in the NFL yeah, in my be. opinion. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. 
But, thanks, for, thanks for coming. Sure. To, but to your point, yes, edge. I think we both agree that edge rushers are probably the second most important position behind quarterback or just pass rushers in general. Yeah, but I and I and I'm going to put those guys up front as well. I, I mean, it, it's not just the defensive and outside linebacker guys. It's what you do with the entirety of your defensive line and that front seven and how you're able to attack other teams and force them off their spot. It is one of those positions that is not dependent on anything else. You can tell me how great Justin Jefferson is till the cows come home. He's great. I'm not telling you he's not great. I'd love to have Justin Justin Jefferson on my team. Somebody's got to throw him the ball every time, right? I mean, pass rusher, he just has to go out and do it. He just has to go out and win. Defensive lineman just has to go out and win. Linebacker, dependent on the guys in front of him. Cornerback, dependent on the pass rusher. Safety's dependent on, I mean, like everyone else is dependent. The only two players that aren't, really are your offensive and defensive linemen. Even the quarterback has a level of dependence, and I'm and I, I'm not crazy. I think quarterback's still the most important position out there. But the only ones that aren't dependent are your linemen. And if they're not good, everything else you scheme, everything else you design tends to go up in smoke because you don't have time to do it. Yeah, and, and and I think when we were listing the positions, we forgot about offensive tackle. That's that's a pretty important one too. And yeah, I put it up there. Yeah, yeah. The Seahawks are going to find that out on Sunday in Detroit, I think. But going back to Adams, I mean, look, whether or not you want to consider him a pass rusher or not, I I mean, look, they weren't trading for a safety there. They they weren't trading to put a guy, you know, to play too deep and to just use him in the secondary the entire time. They were trading for a guy who they figured could be a Pro Bowl caliber impact player. As a pass rusher, and I think you know this conversation that we're having ultimately is about: is this more about coaching? Is it more about the personnel? Now, with the Adams thing, look, if they end up cutting him after this season, that is going to go down as you know one of the sort of biggest misses personnel-wise that they've had. But I don't think that it would be on the personnel department as much as it would be on a bad luck because the mm-hmm. guy was never hurt in New York, and he's now he just can't stay on the field. I think it would be more so on the fact that they just didn't they didn't I don't want to say they didn't figure out a way to use him because they did in 2020. They knew exactly how to use him. He had nine and a half sacks in 12 games in 2021 when he had zero sacks. They couldn't figure out how to use him. And what you saw was opposing offenses started paying way more attention to him. They made him the focal point of their protection plans to the point where the Seahawks felt like they were just blitzing him against the part, wall. But isn't that part of the problem? That's part it's, of it, but it's on the coaching I mean, staff. You, you can you can do all of those things for Nick Bosa if you want, because Nick Bosa is an actual pass rusher. Like yeah, we 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 tried to get Nick Bosa to to we tried to scheme for Nick Bosa, but he's Nick Bosa. He's. 290 pounds and he comes at you. He's JJ Watt, TJ Watt, Joey, but like all those kinds of players. And we come up with a bunch more, the the best defensive lineman in the game. You can't do what you just said. Well, we just scheme for him and take him out. It's fine. You and, and I just, you know, we're going to let a, a 220 pound guy go, go at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. It's not just bad luck when that guy gets hurt. And by the way, I love the idea of a, of a superstar safety. I think it's great to have on your team once you've already got the basics. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. a great luxury item that puts you over the top. You put Jamal Adams on the Niners over the last few years, on that with that defensive line, with what they've got up front, he might be the best player in the league. He destroys people. He's unbelievable. But if you don't have the basics, 
it feels like you're out there trying to like put the the nice kitchen and the nice range together before you've built a, a foundation for your home that's going to survive a little bit of wind and rain. Yeah. Oh, okay, so so my question now, and there's an obvious answer to this, that it comes back to what we started the show with, is where does that where does Nick Bosa come from? Okay, because to have Nick Bosa, you've got to be terrible, and you've got to finish with the number two overall pick. To have somebody else like that, to have Frank Clark – You've got to pay him a ton of money in free agency and be willing to take on that risk. So this goes back to the Jalen Carter situation is you either got to be terrible or you got to take a huge risk on a guy. And they have, well, I mean, they took the risk on Malik Patel. It didn't work out. But my point is it's not as easy as I think some people think it is. It's not like uh, go out and get Nick Bosa. Well, you've got to you've got to finish you know two and fourteen or two and fifteen to get that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in the Bosa's case, that's true. Chris Jones is a second round pick. Yeah, I, I mean, like they so are out Frank there. Clark. Frank Clark was yeah. a second round pick, and maybe Derek Hall turns into that. Maybe Boye Mafe turns into that. That would be awesome. I'm certainly rooting for it, but. You got to find someone on your team that is that the. I mean, how long ago did Schlereth make that point about the about the Seahawks? You remember that point Schlereth made where he said they didn't. Have, what, what was the term he used for the guys up war front? War daddies. War daddies. Yeah. Got to have war daddies. You got to have somebody on your defensive line that the other team is terrified of. When's who's the last person they had like that? Was it Frank Clark? Probably. Yeah. Jadavion Clowney, sort of, but not really. I mean, that's what they wanted him to be. I don't know whether yeah. he ever really materialized. Yeah, he wasn't a good enough finisher, but he was he was that type of guy, and obviously he was only here for one well, season. So, Brady, you raise a good point. You made a great point, but unfortunately, you're going to walk into a very obvious argument. And I knew it. Yep. All right? I mean, like, you knew it as soon as you said it. Yes, you raised a good point. If you want one of those guys, you probably need to go and be in the bottom five of the league in order to have a shot at drafting one of them. The Seahawks didn't have to do that because they made an absolutely brilliant trade the year before. They dished away their quarterback and got back what turned out to be the number five pick in the draft. It wasn't the perfect year to have it, and it could have been a top three pick if the Texans hadn't bizarrely decided to convert fourth and forever and win a game which just absolutely crushed the Seahawks. Without that, they have uh, either Anthony Richardson today or... No, they have Will Anderson. Or they have Will Anderson. And that's in all likelihood what they've got. It's a very different conversation. But they didn't. They ended up with a number five pick. And when that came around, you had a choice to take Jalen Carter or to do what they did, which was to take Devin Witherspoon. They took Devin Witherspoon. It <laughs> I is, know. Like. It, it is crazy to think, though, when you talk about what happened in Week 18 of last season, that is the difference between them taking uh, Devin Anderson. Witherspoon at number 5 and Will Anderson. I, I firmly believe three. that Will Anderson Jr. was the number one player on their board, yep. and they would have taken him. You heard John Schneider say after the first round of the draft, there was two guys that they were going to stay put at number 5 for. He didn't name the other player. Obviously, Witherspoon was one of them. Will Anderson Jr. was the other one. And in that draft room, when Houston took C.J. Stroud, what, at number two? Two. They, there was some legitimate excitement there thinking, okay, Will Anderson Jr., there's a chance mm-hmm. if, if it goes quarterback, quarterback, that Will Anderson Jr. would be in Seattle. They weren't going to trade up for him. Just the price was too high. Uh, but there was some there was some thought there that he might fall to them, and he would have been the guy. So then let me ask that. Should they have traded up for him? What would you rather have today? Would you rather have Will Anderson or Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba? It's so hard to say. I mean, coming off of what would week you rather one. have today? 
Anybody? I'd probably have two first-round picks as opposed to one. Okay. Especially seeing what we saw, and we didn't see it in the opener from uh, JSN, but what we saw over training camp in the spring. If I believe that strongly, that strongly that Will Anderson is truly one of those guys, I think it would be more valuable to have him than a corner and a wide receiver. Really? Yeah. I think it's that important. You just said you can't find it elsewhere. You can find wide receivers. You can. You can get all sorts of wide receivers later in the draft. You found DK Metcalf in the second round. Like You can find wide receivers. They've built cornerbacks out of a whole lot less. They just found Tariq Woolen in the fifth round. If I have my opportunity to trade up for Will Anderson, if I truly believe he's that guy, now I don't know whether I do. I don't know enough about it. But I'll trust you for the moment. Say, okay, he's that guy. Then trade up for him. Get a guy who plays a premier position that you can build around for the next 10 years. Yeah. Now, the other interesting question to that uh, sort of hypothetical is, would Arizona have made that trade Maybe in not. the division? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. not. And that's certainly a possibility. But if they trusted themselves and they have a lot of different needs to take 5 and 20 and be able to do something, I mean, that's a lot of capital. And certainly, you know, maybe you got to throw in another pick later in the draft or something like that. I don't know. I just want difference makers, man. And I want them at premier positions. And I, I don't I don't think that Pete's forgotten how to coach. I don't think that that Pete's a fuddy-duddy. I don't think that Pete can't do offense. I think he's done a lot of it recently. Gino threw for a whole lot more yards last year than we'd seen from Russell in forever. He opened up the offense for Gino. I just think you need premier players at premier positions, and they don't seem to have that right now. Yeah, as as much as we've talked about Jalen Carter being you know a difference maker and should they have pulled the trigger there, I think Will Anderson Jr. is, I mean, he, he would be a bigger difference maker, not to mention a guy that you would never have to worry about. I mean, by all accounts, he's just a stud of a human being too. And so, man, it's for all this conversation about Jalen Carter, they were, they were so close to being able to get Will Anderson Jr. I remember just being absolutely furious in that moment. I was, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, right? Like you go back to the whole Mariner thing where they, uh, they swept the A's the last weekend of the season. And because of it, they finished second to last, didn't get Strasburg. Strasburg, that's right. Right, yep. and ended up with Dustin Ackley instead. And you're like, why in the world would you sweep the A's? Like, thanks a lot, Unieski Betancourt. You went like nine for 15 in the series. This one they didn't have any control over. Right. But what was Houston doing? They made their own <laughs> life so much harder. Do you think that was Lovey Smith knowing that, hey, I'm one and yes. done. I'm out of here. I'm going to send you off with a nice little parting gift. How do you possibly allow that to happen? What are they supposed to do in game? The GM comes down like yes. you're fired yeah, well, well, now, hold on, actually. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold yes. On. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't let that happen. You can't score in that moment. Obviously, it hurt the Seahawks, but it hurt them even worse, right? Because then they had to trade all that stuff just to move up and get the number two pick. Right. Ugh. Well, no, to get number three. Number three. Excuse yeah. me. Yes, number three. I guess maybe it'll teach people not to hire scapegoat coaches. Yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> I really do think he's like, what do I have? What do I owe you guys? But yeah. we, we ended up being collateral damage in the whole thing, and I think that's just kind <laughs> of too bad. All right, Brady, I know you got to get out of here in a few minutes. You've talked a little bit about it. Expectation for this Sunday is? I picked Detroit to win 24-13. I think this is just a tough recipe to expect to go and win a game in that kind of environment given the tackle situation. You're not going to see effort being an issue in this game. You think you're going to see them give it their all, but when you're playing – 
you know, coming off of that performance with all the issues that were exposed there in this kind of environment, I just think it's a lot to ask. Detroit is a good team, and they showed that in week one, and I think the jury is still out on what the Seahawks are going to be. And even at full strength, I think this would be a tough game for them. You know what's hard for me with Detroit? It's hard for me to believe in in Jared Goff. Fair. It's just like I'm not saying they're not a good team. They've obviously rebuilt this thing in a way that is different from all the previous Lions teams. It's hard for me still to believe in Jared Goff. And that's the one thing that I think gives the Seahawks a chance in this game, which is he. I don't trust him. If I were a Lions fan, I wouldn't trust him. And if I were betting on the game, I wouldn't trust. I just I don't. I don't trust Jared Goff. This is, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. And I think, again, part of that interception-less streak that he's had is there's some there's some luck there. He's obviously played some really good football, too. But I think, as Brock said in Blue 88, if there was ever an establish-the-run game, mm-hmm. it's this. You try to establish the run. You try to give those pass rushers something to think about. Take that crowd out of it to where the crowd becomes less of a factor. And, uh, boy, wouldn't this be a nice situation to have some semblance of a screen game? Which they don't have, and and they showed that last <laughs> week, and they they didn't have anything going really last in the week. second half. But showed yeah, that the last decade. I mean, this is this is a you know this is where you would really need that, and so it's, cool. it's a tough matchup for him. Brady, great stuff as always. Uh, you should be following Brady Henderson on X dot com and wherever else you find Brady. ESPN dot com, of course, is where his uh, writing appears, and then you hear him on this station and on TV. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. There it's you fun. go. There's Brady Henderson. Stacy Rost is going to come by, and then. If you're sick of me talking, which I'm sure you are, please start thinking about what you want to say at 930. We'll take some phone calls at 866-979-3776. It's Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710.